Hey, welcome to Scratching the Surface. I'm Jared Fuller, and this is my podcast about design criticism and practice. On this week's episode, I have a really fun and wide-ranging conversation with the architect, writer, and curator Rory Hyde. Rory is currently a curator of contemporary architecture and urbanism at the Victoria and Albert Museum, an adjunct senior research fellow at the University of Melbourne, and was recently appointed a design advocate for the mayor of London. But before all that, Rory was a practicing architect, and we talk about his early career and getting into architecture. Uh, We talk about when he interned at Volume, which was the magazine founded by Rem Coolhouse and Mark Wigley, as well as his time co-hosting a radio show about architecture in Australia. He also wrote a really great book a few years ago called Future Practice, Conversations from the Edge of Architecture. And this book really uh, feels like a perfect match for this podcast. He interviews architects, writers, urbanists, and designers who are building sort of expanded practices and practicing architecture in kind of new non-traditional ways. Uh, I just loved the book and got so much out of it. So I was really looking forward to this conversation. In this episode, Rory and I talk about that book and how practicing architecture has evolved. Uh, We talk about how he thinks about his role as a curator and staging shows for general audiences, as well as the type of criticism he's drawn to, the type where critics take up and champion causes that they care about. And we talk about why he wants to see more of that. Rory is really a perfect scratching the surface guest, and I just love his work and writing and admire the career he's built for himself. So I had a lot of fun talking to him and feel like I learned so much. So I hope that you also enjoy my conversation with Rory Hyde. career that kind of blends architecture and design and writing and curating and it seems like it all comes from one place and so I kind of wanted to start with just what which of those came first for you did like did you were you more interested in architecture first or or writing first or how did that that begin yeah uh, it's a it's a good question and in a way that's i'm still looking for the for the center of of what pulls me along but certainly to begin with it was always architecture and and it was always uh, to be a designer so i studied um architecture i did my undergrad in uh, melbourne at a school called rmit um and yeah i mean the 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 perception or the kind of reputation of rmit is is very much a design heavy um, technology-heavy uh, university, um, and you know, so that was the world that I was immersed in. It was a really architecture as form, architecture as a kind of uh, spatial experiment, and the the social or critical thinking came a bit later. So, um, th- but yeah, while I was studying, I was always doing things on the side, and whether that was um, a bit of teaching or whether it was writing. Um, some curating, but not so much at that point. Okay. Um, lots of designing, you know, for whether it was a, you know, a fashion show or a um, exhibition. Um, doing these little projects and, and trying to build stuff as I was going along, um, always on the side. And, and in a way, those side projects became the project at some point. <laughs> right, <Yeah>. right. <laughs> yeah. So did you always... 
did you always have an interest in doing all of those other things? Like back when you were studying architecture, were you always interested in, in wanting to write or teach or, or curate also? Or how'd that, how'd you start incorporating that into your work? Yeah, I think, I mean, I think the, um, there was early on, there was always a sense that, that there's architecture as defined by um, practice or as architecture is defined by its uh, media, its output, which is, uh, you know, buildings, if we want to be simplistic. And then there was architecture as a discourse and architecture as a, as a broader discipline, which could include everything from um, media to events to, um, you know, arguments online or uh, right. the, the way it's taught, the, the whole um, broader history of, of of, of talking about buildings and cities. So um, as a student, I was invited to uh, at first produce and then co-host the radio show, which was called right. The Architects, which was with Stuart Harrison and Simon Knott, who Simon was my boss in, in practice and okay. Stuart was my um, tutor at, at school. And, oh, wow. uh, and so we, yeah, we got together every Tuesday night for an hour, 7 p.m., um, which was a kind of nice time in the day people are at home cooking dinner and yeah. um you know <laughs> they have the radio on right. uh, we were on a community station in melbourne called triple r which had a great um following uh, yeah, they would they would each year do a call out and ten thousand people would throw money oh, wow. at the station to keep it alive and keep it independent so that suggests that there's again um, a whole lot of other people who are who are listening, but may not uh, may not commit their money. They didn't have proper listener targets, but um, certainly it's, it's Triple R is very important to Melbourne as a, a completely independent community yeah. station. So we so it was a great platform for us um, to talk about architecture, and really to well two things. Um, it's on the one hand completely crazy to talk about architecture on radio because. You don't have any images yep. there. Yep, <laughs> I, I, be, I, I'm uh, familiar, familiar with, with that. It. Yeah, <laughs> uh, but on the other hand, it, it forces you to focus on the ideas. Right. So we would interview an architect each week. We would talk about um, the you know current uh, news or events. Um, mm. We would often do a review of a book or an exhibition, um, and we did I think 350 shows so over about oh, wow. 10 years. Um, so it ended up being a kind of substantial uh, bit of work. And that's really what took me into, yeah, architecture in the broadest sense and, and questioning what architecture is and what um, practice is and what it could be and pushing at those those edges of the of the discipline. Yeah, I mean, I've... That's so interesting to me. I have like, I feel like I have like five ans five questions that I want to <laughs> ask kind of based on, on all of that. Um, I, I want to pull out something that, that you mentioned that, was really interesting to me about how there's architecture as you know basically making buildings or creating form and then there's the architecture discourse which is you know the media the the writing the books kind of around that did you, how that's something that's always appealed to me about architecture and it's why I think I've ended up talking to a lot of architects and architecture critics for this podcast because practicing Practicing architects, it, it, as somebody who, who just looks at architecture as an outsider, seem much more engaged in the discourse around the profession than a lot of graphic designers do. Um, did you find that the, that discourse and that other way of thinking, did that change how you thought about your work and your career? Do you know, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
I, I mean, I think that's certainly true, and I, I wouldn't want to suggest that architecture has any, you know, right. more or better right. established, uh, you know, um, critical space than any other design discipline. But but there's certainly something about the speed of architecture which means you have to kind of um, work on things in in another way. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, I, I imagine with graphic design, you know, you can turn out uh, 50 projects a year. You right. might have, uh, right. you know, more clients. There's sort of lo- less overheads. It might be quicker than doing a building, mm-hmm. which can take, you know, three, four or five years from start to finish. So I think possibly for that reason, architecture has, has needed to develop a, a kind of independent parallel um, track of, uh, of critical thinking and, uh, and of ideas. And at some point that might have, you know, become a substantial independent um, body. Right. So, yeah, I was certainly attracted to that. And that's what took me to Holland to work for um, the Volume magazine and for oh, um, right. offices like offices like uh, MVRDV and, and even some work on a project called Almanac, which was with uh, OMA and AMO and um, the Architecture Institute. And, you know, really, really, that was for me the center of the world of... Uh, architecture as ideas and and as a kind of more speculative, interrogative, experimental um, practice that was still connected to buildings somehow. You know, MVRDV is still building right. um, things, and and the, that gap between the what they're writing about, what they're talking about, and what they're building seemed to be uh, at once both very experimental in terms of the ideas, but also very close to what they were able to deliver um, through buildings. So right. I've always sort of bounced between those two spaces, uh, wanting to keep one foot in design and, and making sure that, uh, you know, the ideas are realized in form and, and that somehow, you know, buildings are still ha- have that uh, importance and, um, and are able to cut through in a way that, right. a, that an article might not but to be, you know, p- playing that other, other side of things as well. Yeah, I mean, I, I want to I keep talking about that, but I want to mention, I have a quick question. What, what were you doing at Volume? Were you a, a writer? Yeah, I, I, um, it's funny. I finished my PhD okay. at RMIT, which was about uh, really new technologies and, um, and small practice and how uh, that was, yeah, that, that new technologies were creating new models of practice. Um, so right. it was very much, uh, you know, I was playing around with parametric modeling and scripting and um, Rhino and I was in the spatial information architecture laboratory and it was all getting very like, um, you know, high tech and, uh, you know, big, big computers, this yeah. kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. And at some point I realized, ah, but the future of architecture is, you know, it's, it can't just be technological. Um, there's something else out there that's cultural, that's um you know social that's right. political uh and that's really so i went to volume i felt like that there that's where that conversation was was happening um yeah. and uh i was an intern you know this okay. was 2000 and <laughs> this was 2008 okay uh, nice. i i came to europe i applied for loads of jobs as an architect um as a designer and uh you know i got a lot of interviews got a lot of callbacks but really so much work was was crashing at that point that um, nothing eventuated. And I thought, well, if I'm going to, you know, uh, give my time away, they were saying, oh, you can come and intern for us, but that job with the money didn't, <laughs> is not going to happen. Right, right. <laughs> I said, well, if I'm going to give my time away, then I'm going to give it to something I believe in, not something that's uh, c- commercial. Yeah. So that's when I went, that's when I went to volume. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I love that. I mean, and yeah, I was, I was a writer, researcher. Exactly. Okay. Yeah. I mean, 
Rem Coolhouse and Mark Wigley are kind of my two people that I feel like I try to model my own career after. Or they're the two people that I look at as the types of people who are yeah, yeah, doing yeah. the thing I yeah. want to do. And so, you know, volume is where they really come together. So that's amazing that you were there as a as an intern. Yeah, I, and it was actually amazing um, timing for me as well. So um, AMO Coolhouse had just ha- uh, got a new project, which is to do another book called Almanac, Almanac 2, which is about the mm-hmm. architecture and urbanism of the um, of the Middle East, uh, of the Gulf region mainly. And I'd been there for two weeks, and then I'm having um, coffee with Ram Kulas asking if I, you know, want to work on this project. So that is it was one of those uh, amazing moments where you just think, ah, oh, right place, right time. You know, yeah. I'm sleeping on a friend's floor, but uh, I get to, I, I've just arrived in Holland straight off the boat, and I'm working with the one person who I, who I uh, want to work with. So, uh, yeah. Yeah. That's it. Do you think. Um, I kind of want to want to close out this kind of early part of your career to start talking about the things you're doing now. But I'm curious, do you think engaging in those discourses and, you know, whether it's the, the radio show or kind of writing and researching at volume, did that have an effect on how you thought about your work as an architect or as a designer? And then vice versa, do you think coming from a background of being a practitioner influenced how you thought about the things you wanted to talk about the things you wanted to write about yeah it's it's a i mean in a way since being in um holland my uh sort of work as a practicing architect has has um you know been less and less of my time and the and the curating and the teaching and the um writing has been more and more so the two things are running in parallel and i guess i'm trying to bring them back in line again Okay. more and more now so um uh yeah i'm not sure if that if that answers your question but um i haven't really had a chance to sort of exercise uh, you know what my design practice might look like now that i've been marinating in ideas for so long and right <laughs> and really that's the and really that will be the test i think and, and, and i'm looking to do more and more on that Okay. Uh, soon. Yeah. I mean, that's that's exactly kind of what my next question was because I was I, I was curious trying to piece together all of these all of these parts in your career. I I couldn't figure out if this was kind of a back and forth. You were kind of working as a practitioner, and then you kind of moved in, and now you are. You know, now do you see yourself as a curator and a writer, or basically how do those things influence each other, or or how do they cross, kind of in your own day to day even. Yeah, I mean, at the moment, so I'm working as the curator of contemporary architecture and urbanism at the Victorian Albert in London, which is a, um, well, it's the National Museum of Art and Design uh, and Performance. So we have the National Collection of of Architecture, um, which is mostly drawings, models, um, and I'm working on making acquisitions for that uh, archive. But equally, we're doing um, exhibitions. So I'm working on a big exhibition which will open uh, next year called The Future Starts Here. Yeah. And that has one bit on architecture, but also it's it's more broadly about the future of design, uh, technology, and, and how it's shaping the way we live and the way we think. Mm-hmm. So, which is all to say that I now find myself almost like a client. Um, <laughs> right. we, we've, we've, we're appointed um, exhibition designers. We've appointed Andres Hacke, who's a a Spanish architect based in uh, Madrid. He's, he, I guess he's also in New York a lot. He teaches at Princeton. Okay. Uh, his, his practice is called the Office for Political Innovation. Oh, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, 
and I'm I'm certainly the most annoying client because <laughs> <laughs> because I you know um, am interrogating the drawings and I'm a, and I'm you know no longer a designer and and I'm frustrated by that. So yeah. uh, the kinds of feedback that I give is is uh, is incredibly annoying, um, but it, right. but it, I think it leads to. Uh, you know, actually, a really exciting collaboration with those guys, um, and and trying to push the museum and trying to um, push each other to raise the bar on what what exhibition design can be and what kind of a experience we can create out of this space. But but I, I increasingly find myself on the other other side of the table, if you like, right. um, writing design briefs, um, commissioning designers, putting together short lists, whether it's for our you know, for another exhibition or for a summer pavilion or for, um, or putting together, um, uh, you know, different practices that we might want to include in an exhibition or a collection, do right. studio visits, but not so much uh, holding the pen. Okay. Know. Interesting. I want to, I want to connect that to something you said earlier and then hopefully lead this into a discussion about your book. Uh, cause you said something earlier that, that really resonated with me that I wanted to make sure we talked about a little bit. And as you were kind of talking about these two modes of practice of kind of making form and then the discourse that architecture always comes back to, to this idea of the form or the building and that that's kind of where the ideas can yeah. live also. And so I'm, I'm curious if you see your work, if you see writing or curating as a type of form building also, even if it's not creating a building or a structure all the time. Yeah, I mean, I, I certainly, I mean, I wouldn't necessarily call it form building. I, I okay. think, um, you know, as you say, that's 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 its own thing. I would definitely call it architecture, um, okay. and that, you know, curating architecture, writing architecture is all part of that broader expanded practice. Um, but uh, you know, architecture and building architecture will will, will always have its own kind of special um, territory, which. Uh, attracts the, a different kind of mind, maybe, or, or a different uh, obsessive kind of person, which maybe I'm not. Yeah. I mean, the one thing I'm, uh, the one thing I'm, you know, I'm much more interested in in connecting things and, right. and uh, rather than in defending things, uh, which is which oh, is the sort. So, you know, when I look at um, architecture, which I really admire, I think, wow, that's a, you know, dedication um, over a number of years to kind of defend the purity of that idea. And I guess what I'm what I'm interested in now is how can I take what I've learned in uh, curatorial practice or in critical practice back to a design studio. Uh, so so I'm talking um, in well early discussions with some with some practices about uh, you know whether it's more as in an advisory role, um, bringing in um, mm. particularly for uh, for um, like cultural or arts projects to bring some of that. Uh, curatorial experience into the design of the brief or the questioning of the brief or or yeah. um, how it might infect so, and, I, and I really think that that's a that's a big gap in knowledge in in professional practice is is in understanding the way spaces are occupied or the way um, you know different uh, I mean that's sorry that's not necessarily that's not true of course but um, yeah to, to bring r r yeah I, uh, I know what yeah. you mean do, do you think that um you know, being on the other side, you know, being the client, being a, a curator or writer has made you see the design process differently than when guess, you were just guess, a designer. I, if, if I can try and um, 
just answer that last question again, which okay, is to yeah. say, uh, <laughs> in, in practice, I felt like um, the, the main or the only tool that we had was form. And that somehow right. all the ideas that you wanted to achieve needed to be delivered through form. And they needed to be, you know, drawn into the project, drawn into the into the built-in brick. Uh, through working with an institution and engaging with people day to day, and uh, and you know, a big a, a big public that comes through our doors, and and thinking about how to uh, put in ideas in front of them and objects in front of them, um, I'm thinking a lot more about program, a lot more about. Um, what you might call user experience and or touch points or and to to think you know you think you realize that the um company that runs the cafe is just as important as the um you know dimensions of the of that workspace or those windows um and so thinking much through much more through program through um you know the kinds of people that can be used to activate spaces and that actually there's a broader set of tools that can be brought into architecture that isn't just uh, form-driven in order to create the kinds of spaces and experiences that, um, you know, are, you know, more yeah. complex or engaged or, um, I don't know, welcoming, engaging with the public or can achieve different kinds of social aims rather than just the, uh, the, the you know, the tools of architecture, you realise, are quite blunt. You know, they, they, they're incredibly powerful on the one hand in, in that, once they're set in stone, they can uh, reproduce those uh, social consequences over uh, decades or even centuries. But they're also quite, um, you know, if you, were, if you want to get into higher resolution, then you need to look elsewhere. You need to look to graphic design. You need yeah. to look to service yeah. design. You need to look to, um, you know, as I say, like the design of a cafe. And um, it's not often in a museum. That's a place where you where you're forced to think about all of those things in parallel. So, so trying to bring some of that thinking back into practice is, is really what I hope to do next. Yeah, that, yeah, that's really interesting. And I want to. This might be a good time to to talk about your book a little bit because I, you know, as I mentioned to you before we started recording, I somehow missed that you wrote a book called Future Practice. And as soon as I discovered this book, I realized that this is kind of all the same things that I'm. I'm interested in too. <laughs> yeah. And so I would love for you to talk about the book a little bit and kind of where it, where your ideas for it came from or, or kind of the origins of the project and what, what you were hoping to kind of do with these interviews that you include in the book and, and the kind of what you wanted to add to the discussion. Yeah. I mean, the, the, the idea for the book, um, which is, yeah, it's a few years old now. It's 2012. Yeah. Um, it came out of my uh, PhD, which was, as I mentioned before, looking at um, different models of practice. Mm -hmm. The PhD was mostly uh, focused on technology. Um, but I realized, wow, um, there are all these other tools or ways of working that are not just the uh, traditional, um, let's hang up a sign, let's wait for someone to <laughs> ring us up, right. let's do what, do what they ask us to do. Um, and try and make it a bit better than, than it could be. That seemed to be, to, again, apologies for being extremely simplistic, but that seemed yeah. to be the, the sort of um, model of practice which which all, which at, certainly at the school that I trained at, was just presumed to be the business model um, that mm -hmm. you would that we would all inherit, and that that was that was how it worked. You either started your own one or you went and worked for someone else, but that's how architecture works. Right. And from through my research and through meeting. Um, different people 
from inside architecture and beyond, I realized that that model of practice had gone unquestioned for so long. And that actually there are so many other ways of working, not just from a kind of financial business model um, uh, sense, but also in terms of you know, ways of engaging with the community or with different technologies or uh, working collaboratively um, or even, um, you know, operating as an activist, that there are so many other ways to change the city. Uh, so the, the idea of the of future practice was to um, go and speak to those people who are working in that way. So rather than to make it too theoretical, which was probably the, you know, which is the problem with all PhDs, as you know, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> is they kind of have to be, uh, to just make it very accessible, to go and speak to these people, meet them, ask them how they worked, ask them uh, what they do, um, and to just, you know, share those examples of great ways of working um, and hopefully, you know, start a conversation around uh, different ways of, of practicing. And it's funny, I mean, if, if I can say so, and it's certainly not just me, but I think there was a general sense after the financial crisis of yeah. 2008, which I guess we're still living in, um, that a lot of people started to ask these same questions. Um, and it, at the time, it felt like, a, you know, very much a fringe conversation. Right now, the idea of talking about other models of practice or other um, alternate modes of practice um, see, feels much like much more of a mainstream discussion. So, I, I'm, yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm, it's really great to see that shift happen. And I think, you know, there's still lots more to be done. So did you go... Did you go back to school for your PhD kind of knowing that this was what you wanted to work on or what you were interested in thinking about? Uh, the, I, the, this, the PhD happened before the book. Um, okay. And uh, no, it, 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 the, the, this idea came, came about through getting lost on the way of doing the PhD. <laughs> okay. <laughs> it was, you know, when you're halfway through something and then you realize this is what I really want to be writing about. Yeah. Um, and so that was the thing that I did next. Yeah. Okay. I want to... I, I was just going to say that it's... Um, well, I'm, I'm at the moment working on the next book, which is kind of picking up where that left off. Right. And trying to... It's called How to Make the Next City. I'll hopefully have it out uh, early next year. Um, and the... Well, the idea is to try and close the gap between ways of working and and design. So, mm -hmm. how can some of those ideas be reproduced or be um, executed through physical form? I want to ask. I, I I have a two part question that it's about yeah. the same thing. I want to start with a very specific version of the question and then kind of expand it a little bit because when you were talking about the book and and thinking about it, you wanted it to be very accessible uh, and not academic. And that's something, you know, that I thought about when I was just kind of starting this podcast also. And I, I was interested in very similar themes of kind of new ways to talk about graphic design and different ways mm. of working and how, how the graphic design discourse could change. And I originally thought, you know, I was in an MFA program. I originally thought that this was going to be me writing kind of a text with history and theory and realized that that would just kind of reach the people who were already interested in that thing. And I really wanted to make something that, you know, could kind of go in and hit graphic designers who maybe had never thought about this. And so that's where an idea of the podcast came in and that, you know, this is, it's yeah. much more accessible than reading a big academic text. And so I'm, I'm curious, I, the two part question is, 
how how you thought about audience and making something that was accessible and clear in the book and then kind of pulling out a little bit to all of your work and especially being a curator at a big museum how you think about talking about design and the built environment for you know essentially a general audience in some sense yeah great question um i mean for the book to begin with i of course i should say i don't mean to um dismiss all academic writing right and, right know, no, no, of course yeah. so much of it is brilliant but yeah. you know what i mean when yeah. i say i didn't want it to be that I, right I, I wanted it to right yeah to yeah. exactly speak to practitioners or at least in, address um complex ideas without dumbing it down mm-hmm. um but in an accessible way so and that's something we did with the radio show and that's something that yeah. i've certainly trying to do through the through the museum and with the book which was targeted at architects um but hopefully it's, you know, it was the kind of thing that um, students and practitioners and academics would pick up and, and equally get something out of. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that was the that was the kind of audience for that one. And then working in a big museum is 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 another a different challenge altogether. Uh, I mean, we have about three million visitors a year oh, wow. at the V&A. Uh, you know, probably half of them are British or you know. Mm-hmm. live in the UK and then half are tourists or internationals. Um, we have a huge range of topics. So it's not like we're just an architecture museum where right. once you've walked through the door, you're, you're, it's sort of self-selecting for people who are already initiated. Right. Um, you know, we have everything from uh, medieval uh, jewelry to um, sculpture and yeah. painting and glass and all the rest. So architecture is just one discipline within that big spectrum, um, which allows... Uh, you know, which is actually the, you know, the great, amazing opportunity of the V&A, which is to be able to put architecture in context and in dialogue with all of that history mm-hmm. and all of those different, all of that uh, wide range of disciplines. And increasingly, that's what we're doing. Rather than having um, dedicated architecture shows, trying to be more cross-disciplinary and putting yeah. things in dialogue. Um, but in terms of the audience, you know, how do you get somebody who has never thought about architecture or um, never, you know, willingly uh, considered it to be interested, to care. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, what are the kinds of, um, and one of the ways that most architecture um, collections or exhibitions are, are driven is through authorship um, and through style. Mm-hmm. And I guess the work here, which hasn't so much had an impact on the galleries yet, but it's stuff that we're working on at the moment, is trying to find other other tools, other ways of um organizing architecture that isn't just driven by authorship isn't just driven by style so that might be driven by um you know issues like how can we use architecture to talk about um housing uh, affordability which is such a big thing in london and which probably affects you know a huge proportion of people who come to see us um how can we talk about um you know the body or experience or uh or sensing architecture uh, can we talk about sound? Uh, can we, you know, use these other um, tools or uh, ways into the into design um, mm-hmm. that might be more accessible, but equally might throw up different questions or, or um, different uh, ideas. So we're also talking about, you know, events or, uh, you know, that somehow this place was implicated in this in this broader social or political um, question, and, and we can then start to talk about design through that lens. That I. 
that's so interesting and it's something it's a it's a topic that comes up again and again in these conversations that i have and it's something i think about a lot is how how do you talk about design and you know we can use the the, the broad yeah. definition of design or even specifically architecture or graphic design in a way that is accessible and interesting for a general audience who had never thought about it before uh, that moves beyond style and form and, and starts to talk about ideas, but then is also interesting for the practitioners or the people who are inside it. And how, how do you, you know, how do you um, balance that? Balance isn't the right word, but how do, you, how do you hit kind of both of those people so you're not dumbing it down for the people that are outside of it um, you're, you're kind of raising the discourse and it's adding something to the profession. Do you think that that's, I, I like, I, I have two questions. Do you think that that's yeah, yeah. possible and how do you think about that? But then also I, I really like what you're saying about moving from authorship and, and style to kind of ideas or issues as, as possibly a way to do that. Yeah, it's a it's a really good question. And, you know, we're obviously kind of wrestling with it at the moment. Yeah. Um, and this is the this is the uh, I, I would say the bread and butter of like curatorial practice. So those tiny little decisions. You know, what do you title that section? Mm -hmm. What do you foreground in this uh, in the in the choice of material you're going to use, um, which can change the whole experience of that place. Um, and, and we're a permanent. Um, well, you know, nothing's permanent, but we're the <laughs> You know, we have a permanent display of, of architecture, so, that, so what we do will likely be there for 10 years mm -hmm. um, at least. Um, but in terms of, I guess, trying to negotiate between those uh, different parties, uh, I mean, yeah, we, we, we talk about different um, kinds of visitors uh, and we also talk about different, uh, I guess, levels of engagement. So one of the, one of the shorthand, um, I guess, categorizations we have for our visitors are... Um, paddlers swimmers and divers mm. so uh, a paddler is someone who and it's probably what i'm like when i go to another museum is you kind of you know breeze through you read the top lines oh, you right. might read a couple of a couple of labels you get the sense of the whole right. atmosphere and then you go and have a coffee <laughs> yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> and like i really most people are a bit like that the yep. swimmers you know they might uh, be conscious of of seeing everything in the right order um, and then the divers are the people who, you know, look at everything, uh, take photos of loads of stuff, buy the catalog and, and read it when they get home. So we're, we're conscious of, of making our stories, that. the kinds of stories that we tell, work on all of those three levels um, and, and therefore, you know, provide enough depth for the, for the hardcore um, professionals or the, or the, you know, students or whatever, mm -hmm. but also to not um, alienate the casual visitor. I'm, I'm curious, I kind of want to step back a little bit and not, I, I, I don't want you to feel like this next question, you have to answer it kind of in regards to your own career. Uh, obviously, um, go on, you know, obviously yes, use, use, use your own work, but I'm kind of curious in general, how you think about the role of the critic or the theorist or the writer, its relationship to the profession. I, I, I like the the critics that take on an issue or that you might call a kind of uh, try and instrumentalize their work 
um, to, maybe to use a historical example, it's something, it's a real hero of mine. He's not very well known outside of, uh, of Australia or Melbourne even. It's a, it's a guy called Robin Boyd who was, no, um, was practicing uh, really since the um, end of the Second World War up until he died quite young in, in 1971. So there's about a 30-year period where he was, um, he was practicing. But he was famously a critic, uh, so he would write, you know, he had a weekly column he had his own practice. Uh, he also wrote um, big books on the uh, kind of cultural histories of Australia. Um, he was a stinging critic. He, he had his most famous book is called The Australian Ugliness, which oh, wow. um, looks at the design of streets and really takes aim at the suburbs and at um, you know the clear felling of trees, the um, ugly uh, sort of uh, kitsch style of the of the post-war suburbs. These kinds of things. Um, so. He, and he ran a program called the Small Home Service, which he set up in, uh, in 1940, uh, 1951. And what that was uh, is he had a small design studio, I think a dozen uh, draftspeople. He would design a new modern house every week and then publish the, make the plans um, available through the, through the service and then publish a column in the newspaper um, talking about this house and, and really advocating for modern design uh, more broadly. Um, so, it's, and it was, I look back at this uh, model of practice as, as you know, so, so radical and so, yeah. um, you know, potentially relevant today that could combine, um, you know, big public media presence. And there's a question there about what that would be now when things have become so splintered and the, and the newspapers don't hold the same, right. um, you know, audience that they, that they did in the 1950s. Uh, a, a sense of economics. Um, so these, these um, you know, complete building plans were available for five pounds. And I don't know what that would be in today's money, but it's certainly a lot cheaper than appointing an architect. Beautifully designed modern homes. A kind of public advocacy. So, um, you know, championing good design, championing modern design, championing new ways of living, uh, new ways of organizing space, and, uh, you know, responding to the uh, baby boom of the post-war era and, and looking forward to, to different ways of, of living and how, how the home could be a guide for that. Mm -hmm. um, and, yeah, yeah, just broadly um, bringing all of those things together. And, and, you know, that for me is the sort of ideal critic. And today you might say, um, you know, that people who really um, champion particular causes or, or foreground, um, yeah, I, I'm not that interested in like the review of the latest Jean Nouvel building, put it that way. Right, right. <laughs> I suspected as much. Yeah. <laughs> I, th I think we're on the same page there. Do you, do you see your work as a curator, as a critical activity or, or how does your own kind of point of view or um, issues that you want to raise manifest themselves in the exhibitions? And I'm especially thinking about the new, the future one and kind of how that looks at Silicon Valley and technology is as potentially being a, a, a kind of very critical um, and, and uh, you know, having a point yeah. of view. Yeah, it's a good question. I mean, I'm, I'm a, I sort of go back and forth with this word critical. Um, <laughs> you know, on the one hand, I see myself as a, well, I, I try to be positive and, and to advocate the things. Right. Um, you know, the, the sense of critical as being like negative is, is, is difficult. Yeah. But yeah. to be interrogative and to be engaged, and uh, certainly I, I, I support that aspect of the word. Um, the way we're doing that through the, I should say that the future show is co-curated with uh, Mariana Pastana, my colleague at, um, <laughs> at the V&A. And, and the way we're 
um, I guess, being critical there is to really take one step back, you know, and look at the new technologies or uh, new kinds of design that we're seeing coming out of Silicon Valley and elsewhere mm -hmm. and asking, you know, what are the what kind of a culture is this bringing into the world or what how does it how is it changing the way we um, live together or the way we relate to each other so trying to ask i guess more like humanities style questions yeah. about technology and and maybe those questions aren't necessarily being asked by the uh you know the kind of breathless iphone x reviews <laughs> which talk which list the number of pixels right you know, does it does it stop to say uh, you know, I mean, it was one of those things which which we we use as an example um, is you know at some point email was available on your phone, um, and uh, you know data networks like three G, four G became available around the same time, and so almost overnight we were all expected to check our emails at all hours right. of the day. <laughs> right. And nobody, nobody, presumably nobody asked for that. Uh, nobody. Well, I certainly don't want that. But I found <laughs> yeah. myself joining this, um, you know, vast movement of people uh, where that kind of, you know, technical capacity had this huge social uh, consequence. Mm -hmm. um, so you know, that's a you know very obvious example of, of the ways that uh, technology kind of colonizes everyday life, um, and we're looking at. Uh, which I guess we're trying to catalog other examples of those those sorts of things, right? Yeah. Are you? And are would, you, I would say that I would say that's a form of kind of uh, critical practice. Yeah, yeah. Through, through curation. What you're saying about you know, especially in regards to technology and, and kind of the, you know the new iPhone review and and you know just kind of lists all of the features and then also saying how you're not interested in uh, kind of architecture writing this just a review of a new building and. The analogy for graphic design that I feel like I bring up in every conversation that I have is I'm not interested, I'm not always interested in the review of, you know, company X's rebrand or the, yeah, yeah. how the icons on the, on the new iPhone have been redrawn or something like that. And so <laughs> I, and, and I really loved your, your analogy of when kind of data networks and email came on phones how that kind of changed human behavior and i'm i'm wondering what you think the uh versions of that are or could be in architecture or even in graphic design i know you you know you don't really work as a graphic designer yeah, but yeah. From, from your view what are those things that maybe uh designers or architects or the people writing about graphic design and architecture should be talking about right now yeah yeah um really good question and, and in, in a way this is some of the the thinking that i'm doing at the moment i've just written an article that I sent off this morning kind of about this oh great um i yeah <laughs> i think that uh um architecture is is in a is in a has a big problem at the moment in terms of um these broader social obligations or responsibilities mm -hmm. uh, um you know, we're, we've completely hitched our wagon to the 1%. Um, mm. We just, it seems to be only luxury now. And that's certainly all you see in the magazines. Um, and I'm not just talking about star architecture. I'm basically talking about like, you know, architects design 3% of the buildings out there um, by mm. some measures. 
mm-hmm. uh, certainly of three percent of the houses, which basically means like you're ignoring the whole of suburbia, right. you're ignoring like ninety-seven uh, percent of the population. Um, and you know, from a business perspective, that make that might make sense. You know, a lot of people will say small practices certainly will say it's not worth taking on jobs that are less than two hundred grand because. By the time you take out your fee and the time it takes, it, you know some of those projects take just as long as a bigger project. Why would you say yes to somebody? But mm-hmm. of course, it's a huge um, neglect of the of the kind of um, thinking and and uh, you know necessity that that your skill is required in. So, I'm the the broader point is to say that um, the profession of architecture, which is a kind of um, social contract, if you like. Uh, we, we agree to provide these services and to regulate ourselves in a particular way um, in exchange for exclusivity in the use of the word and in the ability to be able to practice as architects. So that's the sort right. of social contract that we have as professionals with the um, with society as a, as a whole. And are we in breach of that contract if we're neglecting such a large portion of the of the city? Yeah. So I, I, I would like to kind of, you know, put that um, on the table and, and just say, you know, what are our responsibilities? And not just as, as business people, but um, to society more broadly. And, and would that reshape the kinds of questions that we're asking or the kinds of places that we make ourselves useful? Um, and certainly that might mean new kinds of business models, whether it's, uh, you know, instrumental um, uh, teaching programs uh, or whether it's partnering with the state governments to um, create new policy or whether it's, um, I mean, one example I can think of is uh, a kind of architect as a GP. You know, what if you Mm. saw 10 clients a day and you made a couple of quick spatial prescriptions instead of 10 clients a year? you know, really productive architects can do about 400 buildings in their in their whole careers. Oh, wow. And I just think, wow, yeah. in Melbourne, where I'm from, we, there are 300 people a day arriving <laughs> in the city, 100,000 yeah. people a year. You know, where are we in those conversations? Um, and certainly theory and certainly universities is, uh, is occupying that space, you know, making grand claims about the um, future of the developing world and of the you know exploding cities in China and and so on, um, but we haven't really developed a tool for working at scale or for um, taking responsibility for for the city as a whole. And I, I don't I don't have the answers, but I think that we need to start asking those those questions. Yeah, that 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 reminds me of I I had read an interview with you in preparing for this, where the interviewer basically asked you a question of kind of your definition of architecture or has art has your definition of architecture changed or is architecture moving away from the from from the building and i don't it, it really resonated with me because i feel like that's been a question that that i'm kind of asking through this podcast in a lot of ways in regards to graphic design and kind of what is my definition of graphic design and is it still yeah. graphic design if it moves beyond the form or from those kind of preconceived definitions and so I don't. I hope this question doesn't sound too <laughs> reductive or um, simple. But I'm kind of interested in where, how you think about those definitions, and even coming back to your book a little bit, this idea of an expanded practice. Do yeah. you have any thoughts on that, kind of in general and and in your field? But any thoughts that you could kind of give to 
uh, graphic designers in how to start thinking about this? Yeah, it's a, it's a, I mean, to start with architecture and then let's see if it works yeah. when we, when we transfer <laughs> right. across. <clears throat> one of the things I, um, well, one of the ways I like to think about this is to, is to ask, what if you just um, shifted who you were responsible to mm. or for? Um, so at the moment, again, being super reductive, um, architects seem to be building their own portfolios. You know, they, they, yeah. that somehow the project is like the book, the website, the uh, the magazine article, the perfect thing. Right. Um, there's no there's no um, like measure there on how many people you've uh, influenced or how many people how many people's lives you've improved. Um, in, a, in a way that a hospital might be responsible or, or broad, more broadly, the medical profession might be more responsible in that way. Mm-hmm. Um, so what if you were to change your who you were responsible to from being your own portfolio to being, say, the city? Like what if you recast your role as like a custodian of the built environment instead mm-hmm. of saying, you know, and, and that, that sort of it's semantic on the one hand but it, it reframes your responsibility you, you 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 know you might i read a great interview with uh, stefano burry the other day mm. who's a um architect in based in uh, milan he's most famous at the moment for these tree these buildings uh, covered in trees he's built the first one in milan he's now doing them in in uh, china and so on um and he, he was offered a professorship at mit uh in, in boston and he said, look, he turned it down, he said, because he couldn't leave Milan, um, because that's the place where he feels responsible to. Uh, and, oh, and there's some sense that, uh, you know, he took responsibility for that city and it, it, to the extent where he's even run for mayor. Um, oh, wow. Getting engaged in politics and so on. Someone for your podcast. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Wow. Uh, yeah. And so the, I think there's a, you know, we, the, 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 the image of the Arctic at the moment is this kind of globe trotting, high flying. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm doing all my sketches on the, on, in, on the plane type thing. And there's another version which is, well, no, I'm based here, I'm responsible here, and, and, and these are the. Uh, questions which I'm going to stay and uh, and address. So that's that's kind of how I see it working in architecture. And then the the question is, how might that you know fold across into graphic design? I mean, maybe you have some thoughts on that. But um, you know, what if yeah, what if you were, and maybe graphic design is actually doing that more already. You know, through things like really good clear wayfinding. Or yeah, that's exactly what I was thinking to, about. You know, I mean, graphic design in a way can hit things at scale um, much more easily, you know, through things like design of money and, right, of, like, right. you know, for instance, the the work that government digital services are doing here in London about um, redesigning all the UK government's uh, websites and, and digital touch points right. in order to make them more accessible and more clear and um, and yes, save money for the government, but, but make them more inclusive. Like that's an amazing project for, that is really a sort of digital slash graphic design project. So I, I would say graphic design is already doing it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's, just have to work out how to do it. Too. <laughs> I mean, yeah. I mean, as you were saying that, I was even thinking. I I, I, I love this idea of rephrasing reframing the question to be who you're responsible for, because I think that just opens up all sorts of other kind of questions and challenges about not just what we design, but how we design, um, which I think is a great 
great kind yeah. of mode of, of operating. <clears throat> my my final question, which is a question that I that I ask everybody, I'm very interested in who are the the writers, the critics, the curators, the designers who have really influenced you and the way you think about all of these things. Yeah, okay. Big question. Good yeah. one. <laughs> um, <laughs> well, um, I mean, I'll, I'll give you two answers. Okay. <laughs> We, we've we've mentioned Rem Kulas earlier yeah. in the in the in the um, conversation, and certainly, you know, he's the one to blame for me uh, leaving design and, and thinking more broadly <laughs> yep, about you, what you architecture can be. Yeah. <laughs> so certainly, um, you know, yeah, I owe a lot to Rem. Uh, but I would also add, um, I've just finished reading a book by Dolores Hayden, who. I don't know. Uh, She's, she was a professor at Yale and retired uh, recently. This is a book that was um, first published in, in the 80s and, and was republished in the early 2000s called uh, Redesigning the American Dream. And it's, uh, oh. um, I guess it's a feminist history of the home um, and of, of, the, of architecture yeah. through a, a gendered perspective. Um, and it was just such a kind of revelation, a huge eye-opener for me to reconsider um, design from that perspective and uh, and all the presumptions that, that are embedded in the way that we unquestionably think about design and architecture, and particularly uh, at a domestic scale. Um, so, yeah, I would, at the moment, I'm all about uh, Dolores Hayden. Yeah, that's, that is great. Th those, those are two great answers. Rory, thank you so much for this conversation. I feel like I could talk to you for another another hour. Or so this was so interesting to me. I'm glad we we got to do this. I'm a big fan of your work. So thank you so much. No, for, it's been for really fun. This. Thank thank you, Jared, and and uh, thanks for inviting me to be part of this. It's it's a really great project, and uh, and I, I look forward to tuning into the um, conversations you have to come. This episode was recorded on November 3rd, 2017. Our theme music is by Andy Borgasani. We're on Twitter and Instagram at Surface Podcast. You can find us on Apple Podcasts and SoundCloud and at scratchingthesurface.fm. Thanks for listening.